0: Hi, welcome to the Holton Baptist Church podcast. We are really glad that you have joined us and we pray that the message you're about to hear will really bless you, encourage you and help you to encounter God afresh for yourself. Great to have you with us. Enjoy. It is traditional that you sort of start while you get settled to sort of like thank the person that's just led but here I am, preaching from Nehemiah, I was sitting up the front, and Simon was getting me to do, you know, it was hands up. I thought, oh, look, I'm like a right muppet if I get it wrong, and I? <laughs> so, sort of thank you, sort of thanks, you know, no pressure then, no pressure at all. We are continuing with Nehemiah, and like Simon said, it is actually a really good, easy book to read, because it moves along, it's quick, it's got action. I like it. And I want to do just a really quick recap, really quick, because I think that God's moving us through this sort of trajectory, this sort of, like, movement, this building on things. And I say building as a deliberate pun, really. You know, our minister, bless him, started off in a really radical way, and he started off in chapter one. (laughs) And it all started with prayer. Chapter 1, base 1, it started with prayer. To be effective, we need to be praying. We need to be close to God. Spiritual progress is rooted in prayer. I would say, controversially, that if we don't find Sunday worship gathering quite right, or maybe we're unhappy about something, that it's not quite to our taste or something's not quite right, how much were we praying the week before? How much were we praying in that service how open to god were we it all starts with prayer i did chapter two so it's easy for me to recap that the title was it takes courage the king asked nehemiah what do you want and jesus asked the blind man what do you want and i had that nagging sense that god was saying to each one of us what do you want What do you want? What is it that you are after? It starts with prayer, and then we have to be courageous in asking God for the big things and actually doing what God gets us to do. In chapter 3, Sue spoke about teamwork, building the wall-required teams, didn't it? It took a lot of people working together. And what does that team, what do all those teams really depend on? Well, really, those teams... Depend on loving each other. And as a church, what do we rely on? Yes, we rely on God. And yes, we rely on loving each other. 1 Corinthians 13. And last week, Roger spoke, and the title was that it all it invites opposition. Making progress and pushing forward gives opposition, it comes along. How did Nehemiah cope with opposition? How did Jesus cope with opposition? Remember Luke chapter 4, where the devil opposes Jesus. And Jesus used scripture, prayer, time with God, support from friends. And they're important to us as well. When things don't go quite right, when we face opposition, when it's all a bit uphill, The Bible, prayer, time with God, support from friends. There will be opposition, but it's how we deal with it. So, Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. I'm just going to read it word for word, but not all in one go, because it's good to come at it from some different angles. I'm not going to read all of it, because it is quite long. The people have been working really, really hard. They've been rebuilding the walls. They've been dealing with opposition. I mean, we think about opposition, yeah? The Bible's quite subtle in this bit here. They had so much opposition, the threat was so real, they didn't get undressed when they went to bed at night. They still had their full clothes and their boots on, ready to fight, they had so much opposition that they were carrying a weapon at all times, even when they went to the toilet. They had the weapon with them. You know, loo roll in one hand, sword in the other. It was, <laughs> you know, you know, it's not a time for confusion, people. It's <laughs> you know. But there was that much opposition, really was. They must have been worn out. They must have been just worn down with the work. They must have been worn threadbare with the poverty that it made because it was all taking an effect on them. Verses 1 to 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying we and our sons and daughters are numerous in order for us to get grain, to eat, to stay alive. We've got to get more food. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during this famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards, although we're of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen. And though our sons are as good as theirs... Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we're powerless because our fields and our vineyards have already been mortgaged. The people were in an economic crisis. There was a cost-of-living crisis. They could not eat. They were having to mortgage off their land. And that's how they got their food. That's how they got their income. But it had been mortgaged off. They were so impoverished. They had to sell their children as slaves. Yikes. To be that desperate that you have to sell a child. How does Nehemiah react? Well, first of all, he's pretty darned angry, really. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind, and then I accused the nobles and the officials, and I told them. I told them, you're exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and I said, as far as possible, we've bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold into the Gentiles. Now you're selling your children only for us to buy them back again. They kept quiet because I had nothing to say. Nehemiah challenges their unjust behaviour. He calls them out for what's going wrong. And he calls them out. He says what you're doing is not right. I think Nehemiah was probably one of these guys that was great but not easy to get on with. You know, he sort of like <laughs> he didn't seem to mince his words, did I? Shouldn't you walk in fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile animals? I and my brothers and men are also lending people money and grain. But let the exacting of usury stop. Give it back to them immediately. Thankfully, those who were at fault realise they've been acting wrong. Nehemiah gets everyone together It gets them together to seal the deal. It's all very well sort of like someone saying, oh, yeah, that's great. But you've got to make sure you seal the deal. You've got to get them to publicly admit it and say, yep, we will get it right. And the people who have been getting it wrong, the people he had called out, said this from verse 12. We will give it back, they said, and we won't demand anything more from them. We'll do as you say. So I summoned together the priests and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds in my robe and said, in this way, God will shake out of his house and his possession everyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out. Sort of sounds a bit dramatic, doesn't it? Sort of like gets the folds of his robes and shakes the dust and the bits of muck out. I guess really it's a bit like turning out your pocket picking out the bits of fluff and the old debris and throwing it in a bin and saying, do you know what? If you don't keep your promise, you're just like that bit of fluff and rubbish. Chuck it out. Really quite harsh. There's an injustice. And there's anger at that injustice of what's going on. The realisation of an economic crisis, of real hardship, a recognition of of a cost-of-living crisis. And yes, I know I'm using a phrase that is politically weighted at the moment, a cost-of-living crisis. The challenge of an unjust practice calling it out. Thankfully, there was repentance in this book, and they did commit to change it. That's Nehemiah. That's the story of Nehemiah. But that was thousands of years ago, wasn't it? So it doesn't really matter. Well, should we follow the same pattern? Should we be angry when things are wrong? Should we call out the faults and hopefully change economic injustice? Well, maybe that's how we hope that others will act. Because, of course, it's not us that needs to change, is it? It's not us that's at fault in any sort of way. Surely it's the government, isn't it? It's the government's fault. Surely it's the fault of big business, isn't it? Economic injustice, people suffering, it's nothing to do with us. That's the big energy companies, isn't it? That's BP, British Gas, whoever's charging a fortune for energy. Surely it's the financial institutions, isn't it? It's the banks. It's all their fault. It's nothing to do with me. Well, I'm not a highly uh, qualified economist. In fact, I'm not an economist at all. So I think I'm going to try and stay away from the big political comment and stay out of the larger issues of taxation, economics and trade policies. I'll I'll bow out of that. But I guess as, as a church elder... I should really have a look in the Bible, shouldn't I? See what the Bible's got to say about it. What's the Bible got to say? And if you catch me on the hop and you said, Robin, what's the church's mission? Ooh, I would usually default to Jesus because it's always a good call. It's always, the, it's always a good call, isn't it? what's the mission of the church Uh, oh what did jesus say his mission was when jesus stood up in the synagogue and everyone was looking and there was a load of expectation what did jesus say his mission was he said the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners Recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He has sent us to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus draws on Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58. Trouble is, and this is the real annoying bit, is the reading's not comfortable. It's not easy. Because actually, when you start to look at, especially Isaiah 58, it's accusing God's people of bitching and moaning and carrying on instead of getting on with God's will. The people in Isaiah 58... Are doing a lot of religion on the surface, but they're not getting it right. And I want to read some of Isaiah 58 to you. If you've got it, look at it. Isaiah 58 says this shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, And they seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife, in striking each other with wicked fists, You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for someone to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? For lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? Is that what you call a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away. From your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Because, you see, you've got to do away with the yoke of oppression. You've got to do away with the pointing finger. And you've got to do away with the malicious talk. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the old age foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings I ended on verse 12 when I used Isaiah 58 instead of Isaiah 61 because it talks about being the repairers of broken walls sounds like Nehemiah to me yes we want to rebuild the ancient ruins yes we want to be called repairers of broken walls but how how How? Well, if we want to be like a well-watered garden, Isaiah 58 says, we need to take action. And that action includes making the gospel available to everybody. Everybody. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, if you do away with the pointing finger... And if you do away with malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Then you'll be like a well watered garden. Then you'll be restorers of broken walls. If, then, if you do these things, then these really good things will happen. That's the view from Isaiah 58. And that's what Jesus refers to in his mission statement. I think we should take notice. How does it come from Nehemiah? That's what we're looking at. But Nehemiah keeps making us look at other things. How are we going to make this happen? Well, I've recapped it already. We need to pray boldly, we need to pray meaningfully. We need to be courageous. We need to be brave. (coughs) We need to be a team, working together in love. We need to deal with opposition. Not put up with it, but deal with it, with lots of different tactics like Jesus did. And we need to make sure this gospel message is for everyone. Not just the privileged few, but especially for those in need. Especially for those in need. Nehemiah chapter 5 shows Nehemiah looking out for everybody the gospel is for everybody and I know I'm sorry no I shouldn't apologize Isaiah 58 it's got beautiful words but it's a bit uncomfortable in the middle bits isn't it it's not great but we do have the means to put it into action we have In this church, we've got amazing facilities. There's nothing that we want to do here that we can't do because we haven't got the facilities. We've got amazing community groups. We've even got charitable funds just waiting to be used in particular situations as a charity we administer. It's all doable. Nehemiah deals with unjust poverty in a forthright way. He didn't mince his words, did he? He was very direct. Jesus' mission statement in Luke 4 points us to Isaiah 58. So how? How do we do it? And I know I'm laboring this. We've got amazing community groups. Friday Fellowship, parent and toddler, dementia, coffee drops in, youth clubs. We've got loads of fantastic ways of reaching out. Do you, every person here, every person looking at it later or online, do you know anybody in need? People who are too proud to ask. Maybe it's some of us that are in need. Maybe it's people we don't even know yet. It could be physical poverty. We can help deal with that. There's certain ways we can help. Do you know people who are lonely? Do you know people who need spiritual healing? Have you invited them to come along into this fantastic loving community? Because this is a fantastic loving community, and it's great to be a part of. Anyone that's not a part of it and just having to think about it, oh, what are they like? It's a fantastic loving community. Give it a go. We have an amazing God that equips us to do these things. An amazing Holy Spirit. Just want to say that if Simon as minister, myself, Kathy and Harriet as elders, keep getting told after this about people in need, then the point has been missed. We each, each one of us, have a responsibility to live out God's love. Church leaders can't do it all, lovely as we are. (laughs) There's... I've done church leadership for a while. There's several bits that can grate. One of the greats is... Oh, I know this that really needs doing. God's told me that this really needs doing or this person really needs this. So why don't you go and do it? (laughs) Oh, maybe that's not the way God always works. Sorry, that's a bit difficult. But God wants to love us all. God wants to reach out to us. Nehemiah heard the people's outcry, and he was angry, and he did something about it. Isaiah said we can be like a well-watered garden. We can be called repairers of broken walls if we do away with the pointing finger, if we do away with malicious talk, if we care for the hungry, if we release the oppressed. John 13 says this, John 13, Jesus says this, and we all know it. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by that, by that love, then, then people will know you're my disciples. So this gospel is for everybody. It's for everybody. Everybody. And I think from Jesus' mission statement, from Nehemiah 5, from Isaiah 58, this gospel is particularly for people in need. And we need to remember that. Then God's blessing will flow and flow richly. I'm going to hand back to uh, Simon now. Thanks for joining us on the Holton Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to keep in touch with you, so do reach out to us. You'll be able to find us at our website, that's www.holtonbaptists.org.uk. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram if you search for at Holton Baptists. And we hope that you will join us again next time as we share the Word of God and the love of Jesus Christ with you. God bless.